And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. <laughs> your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year. Banner 12 plus 6 here. Fast PP. Top rookie, I'm saying it now. Ain't playing around with Tater. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up the day. You heard? <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, player. She. Welcome to Anything is the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you one week after we broke down the entire Celtics offseason. And not much has changed. Uh, all the questions still remain. The Celtics do not have a coach. The Celtics have still not made a decision on Evan Fournier. They still haven't made a decision on whether or not they're going to trade Kemba Walker, Robert Williams extension. All of those questions are still out there in the ether. But things, there has been some news on the Celtics front. And I'm afraid it's somewhat not good news, but maybe in the long run, it's actually good news for the Celtics and their salary cap. And that is the all-NBA team's were announced a couple days ago, and Jason Tatum was left off the list after making All-NBA last year. Jay, what was your reaction to Jason Tatum not being one of the three All-NBA teams? I wasn't shocked. I I felt like he had a strong case to make it, but I also didn't think he was head and shoulders better candidate than, than any of the guys who made it. Um to me, like even the second team guys, you look at LeBron and and Julius Randle, like to me, they, they weren't locks to make it. Um, and so I, I think it was a very close race. Obviously, he he, he was, you know, the, the forward who got the most votes outside of the guys who made the team. So he was close. Um, like in the end, like playing through COVID and and really not playing well after coming back from COVID just really, really hurt his case, hurt the Celtics. And, you know, it's weird, but if you look, you look back on it and if he had just skipped another couple of weeks and, and not had that stretch where he shot 39% from the field or whatever it was, 
then then maybe he actually makes a team and may, maybe it hurt him that he tried to play through what through that did play through that and kind of damaged his stats around those time around that time the thing that's interesting about that is if you look at the other players who did make it like clearly it's Jimmy Butler and Paul George were the guys who made it over Tatum both those guys played um, right around 50 games, and Tatum played 64, so 10 less games than Tatum. Uh, so even though he had that bad stretch, he did come out and play. Uh, LeBron James made it while only playing around 45 games. That being said, he was LeBron James uh, during those 45 games. And it's like, how do you gauge these things? I think like the, the standout is Butler and George. And so you look at some of the statistics, Tatum had more uh, – like. Points per game, 26 to 21 for Jimmy Butler. Had a higher, like, effective field goal percentage. But you just start looking at it, and it's like, yeah, I kind of understand why Jimmy Butler uh, made All-NBA. He he put up the stats he did and then was also on the made All-Defensive team. I mean, Paul George probably had his best year shooting from three, only scored a little bit less uh, than Tatum points per game, had more assists per game. You look at all the advanced metrics, like, it kind of favors Paul George and it favors Jimmy Butler. I want to be a super homer and be outraged about this, uh, but I just, like, I don't know. The team was a 500 team this year. It's a, they just weren't very good, and that's I feel like it's you kind of get punished for that. I think you can say, I don't know, that Tatum definitely played with worse uh, teammates. I mean, because uh, Paul George had Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler had Bam Adebayo, but – I don't know, the Heat struggled with injuries all this year too, and Jimmy still played well. I don't there's not that much beef. I just wanted to be outraged, but I don't feel like I can be justified in that outrage. Yeah, I also think I was arguing with one of my buddies about this yesterday. Not really arguing, debating it. Um I think Tatum had a better year than Julius Randle. Ooh, I like that spice. I think Randall made it because the, the story, Knicks the narrative had a better record and and you know he came out of nowhere, and but when you look at it, Tatum scored more points. He did it more efficiently. He, like to me, if if you switch Jason Tatum and Julius Randle, and they they played exactly the same, then the Knicks would have been better, and the Celtics would have been worse. And so, like I I just feel like like Randle and guys often get credited when, like the best scorer often gets credited when a defense is awesome. And the Knicks had an awesome defense, and so I mean, it's not to, like it's it's not a crime that Julius Randle was on second team and Jason Tatum didn't make it. It was very close, but but to but me, Jason I Tatum didn't bring basketball back to the mecca and have people feeling so good about the NBA. The NBA is better when New York is a, a good team. I agree. I don't think Julius Randle had a very good year, and I think he gets a lot of the narrative points for. He absolutely should have won most improved player and because he had a crazy season compared to your expectations for Julius Randle. Jason Tatum didn't exceed expectations this year. I think he had a crazy scoring run towards the end of the season. And if you were able to um, include his playoff performance, I think he probably makes it given just that 50-point performance against Can the Can we invite Corrales? If Corrales is going to watch, we got to invite him out on here. Corrales, you're getting the invitation. I will share the link with John Corrales shortly. If he's going to be on here, because you can't, that's what happens. If you, if we know you and you're uh, in the comments, uh, you're just jonesing to get on the show. It's what Coley did the other week. It's what, uh, if we know you, you're going to get on the show. So John Corrales, uh, come on down. 
Check your inbox, Corrales. While we are uh, waiting for him to jump on, any other reactions, I guess, to the All-NBA? I think the big thing from the Celtics' perspective is Tatum doesn't get his extra $32 million that were built into his contract. Um, is that spread out over like kind of the years of his, his extension? How does that affect the Celtics' salary cap? Uh, yeah, it'll be, you know, $5 million a year-ish, $6 million a year-ish. Uh, so it'll give them a little bit more room against the luxury tax. Uh, it could, it gives them like a, a little tiny bit more flexibility. Oh, we got Corrales in here. Here he is. <laughs> you he knew what you were out. doing with the comments. I was, no, I was simply, li- you know, listing a, you know, a question I wanted to make. I wanted you guys to make a point. I actually have to hop on to uh, another podcast in a couple of minutes. So, I can't sit here and stay and and just bullshit with you guys. Well, make the point. Make the point. The point, is, the point is that Jason Tatum had 69 voting nice. points and nice. a first place vote, uh, a couple of second place votes, and Kyrie Irving had 61. And the only reason that Kyrie made it is because he was classified as a guard and Tatum made it because he was classified as a forward. And so I can see both sides of the argument here, but this also cost Jason Tatum almost $33 million and. While he'll be fine financially, it still cost him $33 million. So yeah. I just wanted to hear you two fine gentlemen discuss that point. I, I think the NBA needs to change the voting entirely. Like, it should be centers, point guards, and whoever else. Like, that, that's what no real positions. positions. The that's 15 what real best positions players. Are. 15 best players would work, too. Um, but yeah, if you want to keep centers and point guards, like, those are the only two positions and wings in, in today's NBA. Like, the whole thing is crazy because Tatum, yes, he had more points than Kyrie, who was just a guard, but he also had more opportunities to get voted on the team. Like, people could have put him at guard. People could have put him at forward. Kyrie was only limited to guard. So the whole process is just so flawed and stupid, and a lot of money relies on it. I I think the NBA needs to make huge changes. Before you go, Corral, I was out to eat last night at a restaurant – uh, called Schreiber. And one of the servers here, Kieran, was a huge fan of ours and like an OG fan. And, nice. and he, he was saying how mad he was the when we broke up and, and the Rain and Jays weren't together anymore. And it was just so cool um, because I love it. Like, he, he just just a long time listener. And it was cool to meet. That Kieran. was really cool. Was really That's really cool. cool. Yeah. You know, hey, look, I miss you guys. That's why I hop in. Unlike Jay, I do listen to podcasts and I listen to you guys. Uh, I do miss you guys. I do miss actually talking to other people on a regular basis on my podcast. But, uh, you know, business is business. It's just like the NBA. Sometimes sometimes you, free agency takes you somewhere else, and that's how it goes. You, John, you made my all Celtics podcast first team for this season. Oh, uh, thanks. In the, thanks. In, in the bald guy position. I think you really <laughs> lost it. <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're not a lot of bald guys talking about sports on the internet. So I'm glad that uh, I'm glad. You're number able. one, maybe. All right, fellas. Thanks for having me on for five minutes. Appreciate you, brother. Later, boys. Later. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, that was a nice uh, stop in from Mr. Corrales, but he brings up a good point. It was just like, I don't get the whole voting system. Like, why, why lock into positions for results, but not for what people qualify as? It doesn't really make any sense. Um, but with that being said, the guy who got all NBA honors in the third team over Jason Tatum, actually had less points than him, was Kyrie Irving. And we're never going to be done talking about Kyrie Irving. It's just uh, an endless story. But a new book, I guess, is coming out from some guy I've never heard of. But apparently he has the inside scoop. Why you got uh, to disrespect him like that? Say have you heard of him? Yes. Well, that's where you come in to tell me uh, that he's a well-respected reporter with many sources. But according to him... Uh, weeks after Kyrie Irving kind of made the promise that he was coming back to the Celtics way like two years ago, he apparently had a dinner with Kevin Durant in advance of the Warriors playing the Celtics where they decided that they were going to team up and go somewhere else. Jay, are you surprised to hear that Kyrie Irving decided to uh, play somewhere else uh, sometime during the season even after he said uh, the exact opposite. Are you surprised by this? No. We, we all watched Kyrie during that season and watched, especially toward the end of that season, he appeared to be checked out. Um, and we, we've known for a long time that he and Durant discussed teaming up and discussed teaming up on the Nets well before the regular season even ended. So that, that, that wasn't shocking to me. The the part of that excerpt that kind of s- stood out to me more than that um, was that Kyrie, after his grandfather passed away, dealt with depression and was upset that he didn't go to therapy for it. And so that's a totally new layer to the entire Kyrie saga. Um, is it is it that new? Because I feel like Kyrie's always mentioned. He's never like addressed it directly, but he's always mentioned there's like stuff going on that you guys don't really know about, and always mentioned how much of it was a struggle for him. Like I think it definitely adds a layer of nuance, and you kind of become more understanding of Kyrie's decision, where he was just like in a very low place. Um, but there was always kind of hanging out in the background, where uh, into like when Kyrie brought it up or discussed it. Yeah, and he kind of made some comments like that during his time with the Celtics, too. He never directly addressed, you know, depression or anything like that. But I can remember him saying before his final season with Boston, like right before he made the claim that he wanted to come back to Boston, um, he was kind of saying, like, this is the first time in my NBA career I've been happy. And look at all, all that I've accomplished without being happy. And now, you know, I'm excited to see what I can do with happiness. And obviously that was fleeting for him in Boston. He didn't have it for long. Um, and But he, he's, he's talked a little bit since about how he didn't handle well the death of his grandfather and it kind of sent him in a tailspin. 
So it's just, it's a really complicated tale. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that Kyrie was plotting to leave, not at all <laughs> surprising. The, the time was around the time, right, that Kyrie came out and, and kind of went back on his promise to go to Boston and, and spoke about his future. So it, it all makes sense. It all makes total sense. And they're, they're good friends. And Kevin Durant just put on an absolute ridiculous show in game five to maybe save the, the net season and maybe eventually win them a championship. So that was special, special performance from him. And the Nets are tough to stop. And the Bucks, man, they lost their minds down the stretch. They, uh, well, let's go there. Worse collapse, second half collapse. Is it the Milwaukee Bucks or is it the Philadelphia 76ers? Sixers. Because Sixers. you're absolutely right. Because they were not playing Kevin Durant. And they were at home. They were at home. And Joel Embiid and Seth Curry were the only two guys on the entire team to make a field goal in the second half. Tobias Harris did it. Ben Simmons did it. Nobody else did. Just a, a wild, wild, wild collapse by them. And, and they did it against the Hawks. It wasn't Kevin Durant going off for one of the best playoff games probably of all time. It was the Hawks. And, and Trey Young, he went off. Salute, salute Lou to Will him. went off. They had no answer. That's the crazy thing to me to the Sixers is that they had the three guys who made all uh, defense, either um, first team or second team. Tybal makes uh, second team, but all of a sudden they have Trey Young and Lou Will on the court at the same time. They just throw Lou Will, or I mean Trey Young in the corner. Ben Simmons is hanging down the corner, and all of a sudden the 76ers, one of the league's best defenses, just has nothing. They just can't stop Lou Williams in the second. It just doesn't make any sense. And then because they have all these great defenders, they have to play like take Corkmans off the court. They put in Tybal. Then you have Tybal and Ben Simmons who give you. Nothing. Absolutely nothing on offense. The entire offense for the 76ers was just running pick and roll with Curry and Embiid. And the slander online last night, continuing this morning, has been fantastic. It's just thrilling stuff. I'm curious, who do you think deserves the most blame for that loss? Is it Ben Simmons, who everyone wants to hate on because he can't make a free throw? Is it Tobias Harris for doing absolutely nothing? Is it Doc Rivers? It's Brett Brown's fault. (laughs) What did Brett Brown do? What did the Habermaster do? No, obviously it's not Brett Brown's fault. But I think a a lot of the issues that were pinned on Brett Brown are just things that are inherent to having a flawed roster. Um, And it was a lot more flawed last year. They make a lot more sense now. But... Yeah, I mean, Ben Simmons, the slander about Ben Simmons today, pe- people are going to have fun and, and get their jokes off, but he's really damn good. And no, he's not. He had to be taken off the court. Can't play during crunch time because he can't he make is, a free throw. He is really damn good. Ben is Simmons he a- is really damn good. He's one of the better defenders in the league, one of the better passers in the league. He's extremely, extremely fast at six foot ten. He's huge, enormous. One of the bigger parts of one of the best defenses in the league. And and he's a nothing on offense in the playoffs. In the playoffs, he gives you zero on offense in the second half. 
they're playing him like Giannis uh, taking a step back, and he doesn't even do anything. Like he, like Giannis will at least try to attack the rim. Ben Simmons did absolutely nothing. And I think there's a reason that the 76ers have never made it past the second round. Like they're just limited by having a team that's Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. They don't work well together. They made it the farthest when they had someone in the clutch, like someone like Jimmy Butler who could go and get I, them a bucket. Like I Joel just, Embiid is I tired. Just looked, I just looked up Simmons's stats in the playoffs. And the tall Rondo comparison has never made more sense. 13 points, nine assists, eight rebounds, shooting 65% from the field, and 32.8% from the free throw line. Like 32? He's shooting twice as good from the field as he is from the free throw line. It's it's incredible. And he, But 13 points a game for your second best player in the playoffs is just not going to cut but it. But he's no not your second best scorer. It, it's like Tobias Harris is their second best scorer. He so he deserves points. a lot of the blame too. He only had four points in that game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of blame no to show. go around. The social media account deserves blame too because they talking they a lot while they're up like 22 or something. Like, oh, isn't this the stage where we're supposed to be tired with like some some stupid emoji? That, that didn't age well. So, yeah. I mean, and, and – Embiid is hurt. He's trying to play through it. Um, they're going to need a lot out of him. I did not expect them to lose that game. I certainly didn't expect them to lose that game after they went up 20-something. A lot of collapses lately in the NBA. It has been an absurd stretch in the playoffs. Then you got the Jazz losing to the Clippers without Kawhi. Which was shocking. I, I, I panned up. I didn't watch uh, that game. I was just like, oh, they don't have Kawhi. The Jazz should easily win this game. I was I saw all the tweets about the crazy three point shot making, but I did not expect Paul. Jo- I mean, playoff P is playoff P back? Does he get the Does he get the nickname back he, after that? He's been so good in this series, and I think you know the Jazz were smart about building their roster. Like they knew it would be okay to have guys who couldn't necessarily guard their own man super well, because you can just funnel everything to Rudy Gobert. But I think. In the playoffs, like it becomes more of an issue, and when you can't keep the ball in front, and teams like the Clippers, they just downsize and try to drag Goody, Rudy out. So then you're you're not able to funnel everything to him anymore, and so the inability to keep guys in front is is more distressing. So we'll see. I, I still think the Jazz will win that series. I still think they have Ooh. a chance to to win the title especially if the Nets get knocked off while they're still so hurt. Um, but they need Mike Conley back. and Desperately need Mike Conley. Donovan Mitchell can't be their primary playmaker. He's just not – like he's a very good well, player. He, he will be their primary playmaker no matter I know, what. But, but he can't be their so only – much better when the like ball is moving guy. and like it's not just Donovan going one-on-one. And so it's going to – I I don't – I'd be shocked if the Jazz uh, – lost this series like I still think they're a more talented team and eventually I think the Clippers just without Kawhi like you're not not like maybe maybe I take that back because I believe in Mook and Mook has just uh decided he's the second best player in the Clippers now but um this is why I think you like have to go for it in the NBA uh like and I think there's reasons why like the Celtics have been trying to take so many swings at just like 
getting them and putting themselves in position because crazy things can happen in the playoffs. Like they could have been this Hawks team going up against an injured uh, 76ers team. Injuries happen in the playoffs. Crazy things happen. If you put yourself there with some talented players, uh, who really knows? I mean, I think it's it. this year's injuries feel a lot worse than uh, any season in the past. And we had LeBron come out and just being like, I tried to tell you guys, um, which was kind of absurd because I feel like LeBron would not have said that if the Lakers were still uh, in the playoffs. But uh, just a wild, what, past three days in the NBA, starting with the Kevin Durant performance, Chris Paul testing positive for COVID after them sweeping the Nuggets. Then you had Stan Van Gundy being fired. Donnie Nelson from the Mavericks being fired. Uh, what else did I miss? Like Ooh. LaMelo Ball was rookie of the year. No one even talked about it. Like that's just, <laughs> that was nothing. I bet Nick Friedman talked about it. He did. He's on the court working with LaMelo right now. He said he uh, was very happy. But um, a lot of co- more coaching vacancies than I think I anticipated right now. We have the Pacers, the Trailblazers, the Magic, the Pelicans. Am I missing anyone? Uh, Celtics. But where do you think does how do you think the Celtics job ranks in terms of uh appealing to other coaches right now? Because personally, I'm biased. I I like the idea of building around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but uh are the Celtics gonna get their top tier uh coach or like are they the most attractive job on the market? I I think I would say it's it's way up there. If it's not the best, it's it's very close to it. And it's not just because the team has been good lately and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are two really good building blocks. I think the franchise has proven over the last 20 years and since the new owners came to town that they want stability. And, you know, they had Danny Ainge there for 18 years. He had basically two coaches. It was Doc Rivers and then Brad Stevens. They stuck with Doc after the team was 25 and whatever, or 24 and whatever. They they stuck with Brad after a couple of down seasons and named him president of basketball operations. Um, so I think the, the support that the organization has typically shown owners it, or shown coaches should is probably a, a valuable thing when coaches are deciding their their next home and then i think brad stevens will be a very good guy to work for like he is as easy as it gets people um, like from him a personality standpoint very well liked guy and so you're saying the celtics are not going to take a gambling expert and just hire him uh and make him basically the the shadow gm that's not going to happen uh under the brad stevens era I think he's a very sharp guy with a lot of um, good input, and I obviously that that he was making draft picks. We're talking we're talking about for those who don't know a story that came out on the Athletic from uh, Tim Cato, the Mavericks reporter, uh, and Sam Amick. But basically, there's this guy Haralabob, who I knew from being a guest on the Bill Simmons podcast, and apparently he's very good at gambling. Uh, but he was hired by the Mavericks, and apparently. Uh, not a people person, uh, and it did not go over well and was making draft picks without getting the approval of other, like the scouting department, um, was telling Carlisle what rotations to play, uh, apparently pissing off Luca. Right then, the after that story comes out, uh, the Mavericks fire their GM, Donnie Nelson. 
it just goes to show like about like organizational stability, I think is a very important thing. And it's often overlooked in the NBA, but I think that's one of the Celtics strong points. And one of the things that makes the job uh, very appealing, as you mentioned, is that like, you know what you're getting. It's very straightforward uh, from the Celtics. And uh, there's a lot of consistency over time. They're not going to just react to what's the latest and greatest uh, going on in the NBA. Yeah, and I think the the Maverick story kind of spoke to the tension between analytics and a coaching staff that, that can pop up. Because coaches, like, like it's one thing to have a, a five-man lineup that works or a three-man combo that works and to want to go to that often. But, like, coaches are telling players what to do, you know? Like, like they're telling them, like, you need to do this on this play. You need to execute like this. You need to take these shots and – and so there's a whole different criteria sometimes between, you know, what the coaches are asking of players and, and then the, the final results of that. So I think there can be tension when, like, like part of that story said, I think players were, like, upset because they were doing all the things Carlisle asked of them. And then it was, like, doesn't matter because the numbers suggest uh, something else. And so, so that coaches just have to decide a lot more than just the numbers dictate. And I think that's why the, the best coaches like have a handle on anything. And like Brad, Brad during his coaching tenure with, with Boston, like he always knew the numbers better than anyone. And and every time he went against those numbers for whatever reason, like he had a purpose for doing that. And and so I, I think it's it's pretty important to keep in mind that like all coaches know analytically what, what lineups work best. Um, but that, that was that was an interesting story about the But Mavericks. it doesn't always translate. And I think that's one thing. I mean, I'm going to bring up Nick Friedman again, but talking to him about coaching players is like, you're not going to explain to them like the analytic concepts and like expect them to be able to take in all that information and implement it on the fly. They're playing so many games and like it's such a, a kind of creatures of routine that you, he tries to like break down like the point of emphasis to like. I think Nick Freeman, when he does like a scouting thing, he has two minutes before the game to try and drill in like two bullet points. Like, and so if I'm a Mavericks player and Rick Carlisle gives me my two bullet points and I go out and do that, but somehow like the numbers don't work out and then I lose playing time, you're right. Like the players feel like they're justified in their job is to do exactly what the coaches tell them. And it's like, you can't teach them the kind of analytic scheme on the fly. You need to teach them like, here are the three points of emphasis we're looking to uh, in this game. And it's like, and hope that they kind of like take that on. It's just difficult. There's always been, I think it's always been the story. I'd like, anytime you go to the Sloan conference, it's, it's not the numbers. Everyone has the same numbers these days. It's how you implement the numbers or how you communicate them. And I think it just shows that, it's very difficult to like as much as we try to break the game down analytically when you're actually talking about uh, kind of like implementing the system or getting guys to try and improve, you have to connect with them on a more human level and can't just like kind of throw numbers. at them. Yeah. And that's, and like, obviously there's, there's intermingling between that. Like you devise, you devise a system that hopefully will get you the most layups, three pointers and free throws. Um, but within that, there's like a whole bunch of different layers that coaches have to deal with that are so far beyond numbers that, that is just, it's a really tough, tough job. Um, as, as the Celtics search continues, 
do you have a new preference for who should be their head coach? Do you think any of the the departures elsewhere should figure into their thinking? Um, no, and, because I don't want Stan Van Gundy to coach the team, and I don't. You're not a St- Terry Stotts guy. Not a Terry Stotts guy. I like. Jared Weiss, our colleague at The Athletic, wrote a pretty interesting article about how Chauncey Billups uh, has helped Paul George and Kawhi Leonard kind of take over more of a playmaking role in absence of having a true point guard. And I think that's an interesting perspective that I hadn't really considered. But I do think it's – I like Chauncey Billups. I like Sam Cassell. Um, I like the idea of a a former player. But I think it's – it's like no one. I don't know enough about how effective like these actual like coaches are because it feels like we overvalue. Like, if anyone wins, we're immediately like, oh, give so much credit to the coaching there, and like we're all so quick to absolutely shit all over Mike Boonholzer when the Bucks um like don't have a collapse in the playoffs and they don't make adjustments. But like, I don't know. How do you evaluate? Is that Bud failing to do anything, or is that like? the Bucks players deciding to like go at Kevin Durant or just not run like the right offense. Like, I don't know how much you can evaluate coaches and how much of it's just actually up to the players to make the right decision. And so that's a long winded answer of me saying, I know I have no idea who the best, uh, best coaches. I don't know what the latest scuttlebutt is. Uh, but I don't know. What have, what have you heard about uh, the Celtics kind of continued coaching search? I think they are likely to hire a black candidate. I think they are probably going to hire or at least consider a bunch of former players. Um, it sounds like, you know, they are, they want to target somebody with like a little bit of cachet. Um, and, and obviously the most important part of the job or one of the most important will be connecting with Jason Tatum, connecting with Jalen Brown being a guy that can take those guys to the next level. And, and that, that's what they're looking for is, is someone who can elevate those guys so that those guys can then elevate the team. And, you know, I, I think Tatum especially has a chance to be like one of the very best players in the NBA. So whoever comes in needs to be able to unlock that potential and, and turn him into a guy who can draw free throws and, get to the basket more consistently and elevate the, the guys around him uh, at, a, at a higher level more consistently. And obviously, Tatum has taken a lot of steps in a, a lot of those ways. Um, but that's the challenge for the next head coach is to, to really, really create a, uh, an environment and a system that, that can push those guys into being as good as they can be, whatever that is. With that being said, at the end of the day, it feels like it's up to Jason Tatum to kind of get better. And he's going to be doing that. This is one I think we'll, we'll end on here. Jason Tatum has decided, I think it was reported, to play in the Olympics this uh, summer, uh, going to Tokyo with Damian Lillard, uh, Draymond Green. I don't know if any other players have been officially announced, but Greg Popovich will be the coach. I think Bradley Beal was, was rumored as a, a probability too. So um, – the thing that's just interesting from that perspective is like we've had so much discussion about rest this year, about the short and off season last year, about how much, how difficult it's been on the players. Um, I think I trust Jason Tatum to know his own body and like they're not that's like 
uh, okay for him to go to Tokyo in a couple weeks, but it gives me a little bit of pause of just saying like, especially given how deep they were in the bubble, you would might rather uh, see Tatum take time off, but I don't know. He it's, it's his decision. And like, it's a pre- like pretty wild opportunity to represent your country playing for the Olympics. So I can't really blame him for it, but what was your reaction to Tatum going to uh, Tokyo? Yeah. I, I never have s- too strong opinions uh, on the Olympic stuff one way or another. Um, I think, you know, as, as much as people say he could use time off with on his body and, and that's probably true. Like he, he played a lot of minutes. He's played a lot of games um, where other guys were injured and out. He, he rarely ever misses games. He, he's always on the court. I think he was ninth in minutes played per game and played you know, 64 out of 72 games, even though he had COVID-19. Um, so his body could maybe use a rest, but there are so many young players who have gone and played for Team USA and had that elevate them and, and come back with a different type of confidence, a different type of, of, of work ethic. Like to be around a guy like Draymond Green, to be around a guy like Damian Lillard and whoever else will be on the roster, like you see up close the way that some of the greats approach their craft. And I think a lot of times that really, really impacts a guy's career and trajectory. And, you know, those guys just all push each other to another level. And so I I think like, yeah, there could be some downside to going and playing more games. Um, But the upside, I think, could also be very, very substantial. And I, that's without even including potential recruiting. Yeah, saying. that's what I was going to bring up. Is like, where do you think Kyrie and KD first became friends? I think it was on that Team USA team. Like, he's going to play with Dame, who might be a little bit disgruntled. Bradley Beal. Oh, Scott Brooks was the coach who got fired we haven't mentioned yet. But um, I don't know. It's always been a positive generally. That's where the kind of the, the ideas of these super teams are formed. I don't know if that's going to happen, but um, and, and shit, it could be super team where Tatum goes elsewhere. Well, yeah, who knows? It dep- like, really depends on the kind of coach in, they bring in and the in roster. They put- yeah. So it's going to be interesting. It makes it like just uh, the Olympics that much more interesting from just getting to see Jason Tatum play. Um, and so uh, looking forward to that, but We'll continue to kind of answer, try to figure out these questions about who the Celtics coach is going to be, what they're going to do this offseason. Stay tuned. Uh, We actually have a, a, we're going to wrap up this episode, but check out, um, look out for the Athletic Audio Plus. It's a new kind of feature that's going to be available on Apple Podcasts where we're going to be giving you some bonus content. So check that out. And we're Jay and I, we're going to be recording a little bit of a a mailbag for you guys. Uh, So check out Athletic Audio Plus. It's, you can subscribe for a 30-day trial on Apple Podcasts where you'll get a bunch of bonus content from us, interviews, Q&As, mailbags. It's only a dollar a month, the Athletic Audio Plus, and it's for across the entire network of shows. So thank you guys for watching on the YouTubes. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please rate us five stars. Do all of those things. Jay, I have just one quick question for you. Is the Hold on. Schools- Hold on. Whoa. Before your question. This is a big day for our podcast. This is where our podcast name originated 13 years ago. That was 13 years ago today? 13 years ago to the day. June 17th, 2008 was when Kevin Garnett said, anything is possible. 
completely so, messing up the line he was supposed to say because it was supposed to be nothing is impossible. Uh, we're going with Adidas, uh, and Sean Grandy will tell you that story anytime uh, he comes on the podcast. So thank you, thank you for uh, interrupting yeah, me. That's I, important I just to, know. to let you know this is a this is a big day. We didn't know it at the time. I was in college. You were wherever you were on this earth, and our our podcast name was was created by Kevin Garnett in a totally botched moment. Yeah, very close. Off. Very close to the summer solstice. Now, Jay, is the summer solstice potable? Nope. Anything is potable! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.